A story is told of an old preacher that buys a second-hand lawnmower. He goes home and he's excited to mow his lawn. He tries to start this thing and he's pulling on this cord and it just won't start. He decides to put it back in his car, drive to the, to the previous owner and, and ask him what he's doing wrong. He gets to the man's house and says, Sir, I've tried absolutely everything. I cannot get this lawnmower started. The man looked at him and said, yes, that's, it's because you have to curse it. You have to swear at it before it'll start. The old preacher looked at him a little perplexed and he was like, I, look, I, I'm a man of the cloth. I haven't sworn at anything. I haven't cursed anything in more than 40 years. I've forgotten how. The man looked him sternly in the eye and said, you just keep pulling on that rope. It'll all come back to you. Now, I know this is just a silly story. But don't we all wish, like that old preacher, that we can forget how to do the wrong thing? You know, in everyday challenges. Challenges like um, starting a lawnmower, or being stuck in traffic, or, or dealing with your children, or dealing with that difficult person, or the struggles we face in, in our finances, and the struggles we face with the world the way that it is. And that we can come out on, these, on the other side of these struggles, knowing that these struggles have just brought the best out of us. Now, I'm not like that at all. No, these, these struggles test me. They are called challenges for a reason because they challenge my very core values. And, and they want me to violate those values that I hold so dear. Now, it's so important to us because we expect more from ourselves. That's why these challenges are so challenging at the best of times. That's why when we succeed, it is so thrilling. And when we fail, it is so devastating. We are into the fourth part of our series called A Hill to Live On. Uh, where we explore a statement that Jesus made about who we were created to be. He said, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. In part one, we looked at the fact that defining your values, defining my values is some of the most important decisions that we'll ever have to make before we make course-changing decisions in our lives we saw that our values are these foundational building blocks of our character and of our identity. And we were challenged to see, is there some of the values, some of these things that we hold dear, uh, that's part of our character and part of our identity, some of it that needs a breaking off. Some of it might need an adding to, and some of it might just need need to be ripped up completely and started off from scratch. And all of that is okay. We're allowed those. In part two, we looked at the character of God, the values that make him who he is. We looked at the fact that God is compassionate and gracious. He is slow to anger. He is abounding and in love, and he is faithful. And we looked at the fact that Adopting these values into our own lives is good and it's important. And in fact, it's what we're supposed to do as imitators of our heavenly Father. 
We then moved into part three, where we saw that happiness is not God's highest call for you, and it's not God's highest call for me. In fact, our happiness isn't a call at all. (laughs) Our holiness is God's highest call for our lives. And if we make, if we continually make decisions that honor Him, we move into a space where we are holy, We are set apart, vessels ready for His use in every single part of our lives. These continual God-honoring decisions leave a wonderful legacy after us, a legacy that lives on way beyond our time here on earth. Now, all this is not because we're better than anybody else. No, it's because that's what God-honoring decisions do. They leave a legacy. Now, all of these values that we've been speaking about, all of this, uh, testing them, challenging them, figuring out what we should hold on to and what we shouldn't hold on to, none of this is aimed at your or my behavior modification. It's not to behave better. It's not so that we can be good Christian boys or good Christian girls. No, all of it is aimed at your and my transformation, being transformed into being holy, set apart, the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that can't be hidden. Now, continually choosing to live by these principles, continually choosing to live by these values, might often get us into a space where we feel it is, it's me against the world out there. It is me and my principles sitting quietly in the corner. Uh, Please, nobody speak to us. Please, nobody bother us. But that was never the point. And that will never be the point of living by the values that God has instilled in us. No, the point is never alienation. It's here where it's going to help us to look at one of Israel's greatest kings. King Josiah. Now, a quick refresher on the kings of Israel. Uh, We can go back all the way to King Solomon. He was the son of King David. Um, He was, he started out as a great king, wisest man in the world. But his literally hundreds of wives influenced him uh, to start down a path of idol worship. And it led to the point where after his death, the kingdom split in two. And there was the northern kingdom of Israel, and there was the southern, southern kingdom of Judah. And fast forward 16 more kings, and we get to our boy, Josiah. Now, I say our boy, Josiah, because he was just a boy when he was handed the reins of the kingdom. We're introduced to him like this. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight and followed the example of his ancestor David. He did not turn away from doing what was right. For as young as Josiah was, he ruled better than 70% of the kings of Judah and Israel. And for as young as he was, he understood 
that in his nation, in the land, there was a spiritual sickness. Uh, there was idol worship everywhere. There was um, child uh, sacrifices uh, rife in the nation. And even God's own temple was used as the home for several idols uh, and, and their worship practices. Josiah saw this and he knew that something had to be done for it. In a sense, Josiah's search for God started by him cleaning up and uh, destroying everything that he recognized as not in the worship of the one true living God. Years into his reign, Josiah uh, speaks to his administrators and says to them, Guys, I think that we should re-renovate, uh, uh, actually, or restore the temple to its former glory, to have a home for God the way that it used to be. Uh, they start doing this. And somewhere during the reign of the previous 16 kings, the law of Moses, the written down law of Moses, had been misplaced. It's gone missing. And Hilkiah, the, the, the high priest at this stage, he finds it and he takes it to King Josiah. Josiah asks him, please read it to me. Now, at this stage, uh, Josiah is angered and, and he is, is grieved by the disobedience of his ancestors to God's word and to God's law. And he starts this massive reformation in the kingdom. He decrees that for the first time in, in hundreds of years almost, that Jerusalem will celebrate the Passover, that the nation will uh, reinstate, will, or, or rather renew their covenant, their partner agreement with God. You see, Josiah does his level best to expose the kingdom to God's laws and to God's values and to see them make decisions that, that lead them back to becoming the people of God, the people God created them to be, a holy nation, a set-apart people. You know, the light of the world, a city on a hill that can't be hidden, reflecting God's glory on every single nation around them. Now, at this stage, Josiah is about 27 years old. And at his young age, he rules with a sense of boldness and, and, and a sense of humility that wasn't seen in another king around him. Josiah was, was not flawless at all. And he had many flaws. But he left a wonderful legacy. And Second Kings says this to us about his reign as king. Never before had there been a king like Josiah who turned to the Lord with all his heart and soul and strength, obeying all the laws of Moses. There has never been a king like him since. The people did respond to Josiah and, and they did start worshiping God. But the Bible makes it very clear that the people only worship God or renewed their worship in God because they respected their king. It was never out of 
a personal understanding of their guilt before God. You see, the people of the nation decided that, you know, we can modify some of our behaviors to keep the king happy and, hey, to make God look good. But Josiah, no, Josiah was transformed. He was forever changed by God's law. He was forever changed by the values that God had installed in him because he listened and he wanted to change. Josiah was back then and is still today this city on a hill showing us what's possible when we allow godly values to shape our lives and to turn us into the people who God's created us to be. Now, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And that's Jesus saying that to you as he's saying that to me. And this is the point where we go, what, me? Like, why? Like, where do I even start? Well, the book of John is always a fantastic place for us to start. The word, Jesus, gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. You see, his life brought light to you, and his life brought light to me. And God wants to see us transformed by that light that Jesus brings us. Because you've seen darkness. You've seen darkness in, in, in the people around you. You've seen darkness in the world around you. You might even be honest enough to go, hey, I've seen some darkness inside of myself. And God here says that Jesus brings that light to transform us out of darkness and into the glorious light that he has for us. Zacchaeus is, is a Bible character who's a great example of this. Zacchaeus was a tax collector who invited Jesus to his house. And if you hear tax collector and, and, and Bible uh, together, the connections of darkness are close because tax collectors, man, they were some rough people. Their, their, their profession was synonymous with lying, cheating, stealing, paying for all the wrong things, not paying for all the right things, and being traitors to their very own people. So, great darkness right there. But Zacchaeus, when Jesus visits his home, is transformed by the light of Christ that he experienced. And that humble submission to the light changes him in a moment. And Jesus has this to say about Zacchaeus. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. God seeks us out that we might have the freedom that he gives, that we might live in the abundance of life that he has for us. But he never expects us to live out these values on our own. Uh, he never expects us to uh, be isolated in any of this. No, he creates a community of people who is also in that transformation process with us. And he puts us among them. And that transformation process people, man, they just call it the church. 
and they're called life groups and they're called friends and family who follow Jesus. Now, the truth is just this. God doesn't give us a book full of rules and a letter that says goodbye and good luck. Have at it, okay? No, he gives us this instruction. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declared to you. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. God is light and he would love for us to experience that light that light that drives out the darkness in us and then reflects to everyone around us. That is his heart for us. That is his heart for you and it's his heart for me. And his heart is also that we might have fellowship with, other, with others who are in that same process, that we all experience that life, that unity, that freedom in community, in Christ. But the question remains, where does all of this start? We just need to read on in 1 John. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. This right here, this is our starting point. Like Zacchaeus, it's humble submission, submitting to Jesus. You see, when we submit to Jesus, we, we get forgiveness and a clean slate in Christ. Uh, it's from there, we get to live lives, lives that are transformed by the goodness of God, that is transformed by the truth of his word and by the values that God instilled in you and in me, in us. And we will see that those values are shared by a community and that we can challenge each other to be the light of the world, to be that city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. So what is our next steps? It is a simple prayer. It is a prayer that, that we will pray whether we are Jesus followers for a minute or whether we're Jesus followers for 40 years. It's a prayer, it's a prayer that we continually continue to pray. It's a prayer that simply says, Jesus, I give you my life. And then it continues and says, God, show me the values that you want me to live out. Will you reveal them to me through your word? And will you reveal them to me through good, strong, Christian community through your people and that's it and this morning I want to give you the opportunity whether you've prayed this prayer 300 times or whether this is your first time to step into that life that freedom and that rich community of the transformed by the values of God let's pray together Jesus, today I come and I, I give you my life. 
Lord, will you show me the values that you have for me to live out? Lord, will you reveal them to me through your word, through the Bible, and Lord, through the community that is the church, other people flawed like me, but looking to honor you in everything they do. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. God wants to light you up. God wants to put you on display through Jesus so that you might give his light and his life to everyone around you. Thank you so much for joining us through this series. I hope you've enjoyed it and we hope to see you again soon. Have a wonderful week.